Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Before we get started on this episode, I wanted to take a minute to address a tragedy that has impacted many of our fellow fraudologists. If you're in online fraud or security, chances are you either are or have closely worked with someone or a lot of people in Israel. And if you listen to fraudology somewhat regularly, chances are you've heard a fair number of Israeli accents as several of them are experts in online security, safety, and fraud prevention. I know that some of the absolute best humans I know call Israel home. And my own life was forever changed when I was given the Legend of E-Commerce Fraud Award in 2019 at FraudCon, which is held at Tel Aviv University. Part of receiving that award was a sponsorship from the university to travel to Israel to accept the award in person. And I absolutely fell in love with the land, the food, and especially the people. I gained lifelong friendships through that experience. And I know several of you have had similar experiences over the years. And not only are there hundreds of individuals in Israel that have dedicated their careers to the fight against online cybercrime and scams, but there are also a number of unique cybersecurity and fraud technology startups based in this small but mighty country. I can't even begin to count the sheer number of large international online brands in banks and e-commerce and their customers who are protected by these companies, whether they realize it or not. And I'm sure as you all know by now, a little over a week ago, those in Israel and the innocent civilians within Gaza had their worlds turned upside down due to an unimaginable and horrific attack on their land and their people. I'll never pretend to be an expert on Middle Eastern or honestly, any country's politics. But those of us who have a passion for protecting innocent people from online crime are often also equally passionate about the right for children, their families, and all people who are civilians to be safe and secure offline too. I've been in contact with several friends and previous guests of Fraudology, and if you're wondering what you can do to help, they've all said that hearing from friends and colleagues and having them check in on them via WhatsApp, LinkedIn, or email has meant the world. I would note that try not to ask for details of their experiences as they're having to live it and tell family outside the country, you know, quite a bit. But you can tell them that if they want to share, they can and you'll listen. But just try not to ask them to share too much. Also, I've been told that any humor, inside jokes, memes, or any semblance of normal life has been appreciated. It might feel a little tone deaf or silly, but I've been told many times that it is appreciated and often has become the highlight of people's days. Israelis are shaken but strong, and they will recover from the heinous attacks on their land, family, and friends. But for those of us fortunate to only experience it from the comfort of our TVs and devices, the least we can do is stand with all innocent civilians impacted by the terrorist attacks in the recent days and to let all the people we know personally, whether they currently live in Israel, Gaza, or are from there, that they're in our thoughts and or our prayers. It's a small country. Everyone was affected in one way and knows someone who lost someone. One other way you can help fellow fraud fighters in Israel, if you haven't already, purchase the Practical Fraud Prevention book by O'Reilly Publishing. The authors, Shoshana Marini and Galit Saporta, are both incredible fraud fighters, and even more importantly, they're both mothers raising their children in Israel. Because a significant portion of book sales go to the authors, the more books purchased means the longer or more they may be able to put their children first during this really emotionally trying time. And there really isn't uh, any reason for anyone there right now to believe that normal life is around the corner anytime soon. Plus, the book is phenomenal and worth every cent or shekel. The authors don't know that I'm saying this, 
So I would just love to see a huge influx in sales or have them see it and kind of be surprised by it. It would be such a good gift from our industry to them. And I know it would also benefit many Israelis as these incredible women are donating part of the profits of the book to help others. All of us who are aligned in the fight against cybercrime should also be united in the fight against terrorism. So to our Israeli brothers and sisters, please know that I stand with and I think of you often. And I know that I am not the only one. Okay, I'm switching gears quite a lot actually, but this is an episode about fraud and I am continually told by my friends who have been you know, personally impacted by this that any semblance of normal life is helpful. So here we go. <laughs> My guest today is Siddharth Shah. He's the lead product manager of onboarding and identity at Novo.co. Novo is a B2B financial services company that is revolutionizing business banking services for micro and solar, solo entrepreneurs, which we know are difficult to verify sometimes. Sid joined me on Fraudology with his colleague, Matt Vega, back in February of this year. It was actually February 14th and 16th on episodes 169 and 170, to be exact, to talk about how they were implementing landmines and tripwires to reduce friction on legitimate users, but to ensure identity and security through the onboarding, login, and throughout all transaction level interactions on their site. Rightfully so, these were two very popular episodes. Literally thousands of you tuned in and several listeners reached out to me and also to Sid and Matt. Well, as Sid and I will share in a minute, we recently got to see each other in person at the Forder Impact Conference in New York City. And as he shared the experiences he's had and lessons he's learned since being on the podcast just you know, eight or so months ago, I asked him if he would be willing to come back and share these lessons and takeaways on air. And I'm grateful that he made the time to have this conversation. Within our conversation, Sid's going to talk about his immersion into the community of the fraud world, the highs, the lows, and the takeaways. There's often a difference between working in fraud within your company and then when you get to be part of the online fraud community and be immersed into that world through conferences or through collaboration calls or, you know, other community opportunities. And that is really what he's going to talk about. And it's a really interesting conversation for anyone to hear. He'll also share some of the best advice he's been given and that he'd give others who are either new to the online fraud community and or anyone who just wants to learn more and create more opportunities for themselves and their career. He'll also talk about why he has been able to learn so much by attending events that are often geared to e-commerce that he can and has applied to his role within financial services and banking. And that to him, fraud is fraud. You just have to change some of the context and details. And he'll share which ones he's changed to be able to gain value for his company and his use cases. I always enjoy my conversations with Sid and I often walk away with a new perspective on fraud and trust and safety. So this conversation with Sid Hart's shot is no exception and I really hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Fraudology Podcast. I always enjoy having return guests come back to Fraudology because there's only so much we can cover in one episode. And that is absolutely the case with this guest. I got to see him in person at an event earlier this week and said, I really want you to come back. And God bless him. He made time in his schedule, even on a weekend to get back on the podcast. And that is Siddharth Shah. Sid, I am so grateful that you're back on Fraudology. It's been so fun for me to see your progression just over the last seven or eight months that I've known you. Uh, when you were you know, on the podcast before you were with our mutual friend, Matt Vega, and now you are, you know, a solo artist, a solo act. So uh, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Carice. Uh Happy, happy to be here. Um, I think like one of my first experiences with, uh, you know, sort of post like starting in this space was with, you know, you and Matt, and I'm very, very appreciative of both of you all the time. And it, it was great to see you in New York. Likewise, on both of those things, I'm a self-professed nerd, and I think that that's probably a good thing. But I just, the one of the biggest things I love about this industry is the people, and you are very much included in that. And, you know, some people are jazzed up about 
data analytics, some are jazzed up about products, some are strategy, some are, you know, the thrill of the hunt and investigations. And then there's some of us that like a little bit of all of it, or, you know, a couple of those things. And really what it comes down to is that there's no, you know, you can't go to school for this, right? So the value of learning from each other and each other's experiences just can't be understated. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, uh, as someone sort of relatively new to this space, um, I can't like understate uh, or state enough like how important it is um, that we build these connections with with each other. Because I think after our you know first experience, um, like after my first experience, and I was lucky enough to be able to attend uh, MRC Vegas, and that was an an absolutely incredible opportunity for me, um, just from a meeting people and i think everything else that's come after has been from meeting people and being proactive and reaching out to those people um from that conference um so uh definitely like for anyone new listening to this podcast wondering how they get started um i think networking and building out that network and being proactive and reaching out is incredibly important 110 percent, and that's a bit of what we're going to dive into today because when we were talking in new york at another event it was the uh, forder impact conference that i spoke about when they were the sponsor way back in May, I think. And it finally happened uh, just last week. And uh, it was in New York and you live near there. So I was so grateful to get to uh, invite you and have you be there. And um, we were talking a little bit because, you know, primarily the impact conference is focused on e-commerce and Novo, the company that you're with, you know, now is not traditional e-commerce, it's more financial services, and it's B2B. And I think too often we pigeonhole and say, Oh, you know, because even I when I wrote back to you, uh, said, Hey, I just want you to know, like, these may not be your people, but I think you can learn a lot. And so we had a conversation about that. And I said, Oh, can we have this conversation again on the podcast? Because I um, I know that so many people listen to the podcast, you know, in different levels of their career. And some of them, it's, they're just in the first six months, year, two years, but it feels like an eternity, just like, you know, I'm sure you can relate. Other times, you know, we've been in it for 20 years, but I think it's a good refresher course of how to get the most out of it when you can't go to school for it, right? And that's a question that a lot of people ask me, and I'm so grateful that Fraudology has been a resource for so many people to learn from others and to learn who to network with and who to, you know, those type of things. But just kind of going back a little bit before you went to, you know, the Merchant Rest Conference at Vegas, and that is kind of the main one for e-commerce and fintech at this point. There um, have been others over the years, and, and there are other events, but that for right now is, you know, really the main one where almost everyone in fraud go to. But I also am very aware that it's very expensive, uh, especially for merchants and, you know, uh, for practitioners themselves, where it's not a write off the way that, you know, it is if you're a solution provider, um, and you're not getting the same ROI as you are if you're a solution provider. So before going to MRC, and that was when we talked on the podcast last about strategy and it's such a good conversation. I learned so much from both you and Matt, and I always do. Um, what was your opinion about fraud? Like, were, was it something you had realized you wanted to stay in? But did you feel like you were kind of, you know, you and Matt were kind of up against the world? Or what did you think about the industry or the and, and just, you know, the people too? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I kind of like made my debut in, in, in this in this space, um, kind of because of a, a shift in function. So I moved from like consulting to product. And uh, my first product role was in the identity space with onboarding and, you know, KYC and fraud and, and all of that good stuff. Um, so I kind of like got introduced to two things at the same time. Um, so for me, it was just a lot of <laughs> learning both subject matter as well as like functional things. And I, I think one thing I realized uh, about like, and, and I'd, I'd always kind of been interested in like, I got like, you know, once I experienced it firsthand, um, you know, it seemed very interesting. But I think, uh, you know, joining Novo was like a big step in that direction for me, because um, that was a time where I chose to move into the same role right, right. at Novo um so <laughs> it wasn't chosen for you you chose that exactly because I was trying to make that product move it was now 
I'm making from this product role to that product role. And, and now it was, hey, I'm making this choice um, deliberately. And I think one of the big reasons is because I have a pretty strong data background. Um, I come from a lot of data analytics um, in my consulting days. And a lot of the decisioning work in fraud is is statistics. It's a it's a it's an analytics game, right? It's a very data heavy thing. So that was, I think, what attracted me to it first. And I can speak to why I continue to be there. But well, I'd love for you to just share a little bit more. I mean, I agree with you, and I think I understand what you're saying. But so many times we pigeonhole ourselves and think, uh, well, I have a data analytics background. So how in the world could that transfer to product? right? Or vice versa, or those type of things. So when you say that you feel like your data analytics background, that, you know, product and strategy and making those decisions is really, you know, similar, very similar to data analytics. I agree with you. But but if somebody was like, what do you mean? Those are two completely separate jobs and roles within tech. And usually people just stay within those roles. How would you explain that? So I, I think, uh, so product for me is a lot about it's it's less so about the delivery and the building of things as it than it is like deciding what's right to build. Um, that discovery element of product is probably where I spend most of my time because you can build all these things for two years, but uh, really, like what you're being measured against is the outcomes you drive, or like, and you're accountable to those outcomes which means identifying the right thing to build is the most important. And how do you do that? If you, and there's, there's, there's two parts to that, right? Like the first part is, and this is where the data piece comes in, right? Like you want your decisions to be data driven. And what that means is there's both a quantitative and qualitative element to it. Like I would, I would say on the quantitative side, I think that's where my analytics background really helped because, you know, I could identify where the problems were and, and like what the problems were. But what is additional, which you kind of have to learn in, within product is the why, right? And that's where talking to your customers and talking to people really helps because they can tell you why they take certain actions or why something is a problem. Um, and that together forms your discovery or your, um, this is now the thing that I need to solve. Um, so I would say it is not fully product, but it is the the first step into it, right? It helps you identify where the problems are. And I think that's, that's kind of like the link, right? A hundred percent. It's the link. I think there's so much wisdom in that because we've all, I think we've all seen or worked with or, or met people who are putting in great things, but are they the right thing at the right time for the problem and finding that root cause and then figuring out, you know, what's going to be the antithesis of that root cause to then have it not be as much of a problem or to solve the problem for lack of better you know, term, I mean, that's a little too, uh, a little too simplistic, but you have to have the right data, you have to understand how to look at the data, where the data is coming from, how much you can rely on it, right? What does it mean? The why? And being able to marry quantitative analysis with qualitative will help you find that so much faster. And I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, for me, I came into this space kind of with an angle of root cause analytics on chargebacks, but it's very, it's all very similar, right? We're looking for the why and the what, well, the why is going to tell you the what to fix it. And then when you have a really good understanding of the data and, and what it means and all of that, then you really are able to carry the football, so to speak. I mean, we are recording this on a Sunday, uh, <laughs> or, you know, carry the football, so to speak, on through, you know, to the end zone as far as data is the first step, but then you're implementing that product strategy and how can we, how can we address this problem that the data told us about in a scalable way? And that's, I think that's brilliant. And I think it's a really good way of looking at it, but I don't think I really, I don't think I really heard anyone else say it in that way, which is really kind of also goes back to why, it's so important to, you know, learn from each other. Um, so you had already made the decision, you know, it sounds like since you went from a role kind of being told you were going to be in product for KYC and onboarding, and then you specifically went to Novo for a product role in KYC and onboarding. And I think that you did have a little bit of luck and you will always say this, uh, 
that you got paired up with somebody who's been in the industry for a little while. Um, I actually remember when Matt didn't know what MRC was and wasn't in the industry for long, I think, or, you know, hadn't been in the industry long. Um, I think in a way I probably had something to do with that, but there's a few other people too. But he was able to say, hey, you've got the bug. I can see that you have the bug, but I really want you know you to now see that you're not the only one that has the bug. And that can have a very big meaning. And I also know that Matt did something else that most people don't, I shouldn't say have to do, but don't get the opportunity, good and bad, uh, to do at the first conference is that you, you know, he said, hey, the best way to go for free to this conference that would usually cost us two grand, you know, for registration, not to mention travel, is to speak. And I know you had some imposter syndrome on that. And I know that one of the reasons why he said, hey, if you want me to speak on the podcast, I really want Sid to come along with me because he's really the brains. I know one of the reasons why is because he wanted you to know it's not that scary. But did that add an extra component to going to MRC that you were a little bit more like nervous about or was it okay? Honestly, I I would say that like I'm very grateful to Matt for pushing me forward. You know, even coming to your podcast, right? Like I'd listened to it before and it's like, oh, there are all of these impressive people on there. And I've been in this industry for what, a year, year and a half, something like that. And and uh like, like, how am I that imposter syndrome is real, is is very real, right? Like, how am I? <laughs> how, how can I be on that same same podcast, right? Um, so I think it definitely played a big role there. I'm glad Matt, Matt sort of pushed me forward. And, and you were also really, really um, full in like, putting me to putting me at ease, right? I think with, with MRC, that was like another one where, um, you know, sort of, I think being able to go to that conference, uh, as you said, it's an expensive one. Novo has always been very security first and continues to be. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the support that like Novo has provided me in, in um, becoming sort of a thought leader in the space. Uh, so, but, but I will say that that imposter syndrome is real. It was real. It is real. It continues to be. I don't know when I would ever get over it, but I'm trying my best to take opportunities as they come up and like also encourage others. Like I think, I think a fresh perspective is incredibly valuable at any point in time. And I would not um, underestimate that piece of it. Like I, I think Matt with like his 20, what, how many over years of experience he has, right? Like I think getting a fresh perspective and a different perspective, I think is helpful for him as well. So like we work very well and, and work off of each other. And, you know, I don't know anything about this space or, you know, very little compared to others. And oh, please, I, I <laughs> again, keep that imposter syndrome coming out, right? Um, I think, I think bringing that fresh perspective can really help identify the right problems and, and the right solutions. Um A hundred percent. And that's why, I mean, (laughs) I was going to joke with you that, I mean, I'll let you know when the imposter syndrome goes away, because I certainly (laughs) still have it all the time. (laughs) Um, But I think that it's especially uh, prominent for those of us who, uh, you know, in our upbringing, weren't encouraged to speak up and share or told that we had a lot to to share or add to the conversation, right? So, I, I mean, historically, at least in the Western world, that is often, you know, anyone that's not, uh, you know, white and male. And I'm not making this you know, political. I am married to a white male, so I'm allowed, you know, I think you're allowed to say that. But, um, you know, the, it's just the way that this society has been where, you know, from an early age, I know that the, you know, the boys in my class that, you know, looked like me that, you know, similar skin color, they were often, you know, praised when they got the answer right or encouraged to go up and speak or, you know, run for president or that type of thing. And, and that just grows with you. I mean, I also think that for those of us who are extremely analytical and we're constantly looking for what's wrong or what's broken uh, in our jobs, we do the same thing in the things we say or the things we know or do. And it's very easy to look at somebody else from the outside and say, oh, well, I don't know as much as they do, or I don't have the experience that they do. But what you said about a fresh perspective couldn't be more true. I don't know of another industry, and I'm sure there are some, I just don't know them as well as this one, where other perspectives are not just needed and nice, they're critical. If you don't have other perspectives, not just from, you know, other, whether it's internally from other departments, whether it's, 
you know, externally from, you know, somebody who's had more of a product background and you have more, you know, whatever that is, right, lacking, whatever you're lacking in your experience or, you know, people management or operations or whatever that is, having that perspective and saying, hey, I have this issue. I mean, I host, you know, a fair number of merchant collaboration calls. And that's a big part of it is people saying, what is this, you know, here's, here are the symptoms, what's going on? And somebody else at a retailer that might be bigger or might have a bigger brand, they saw that six weeks ago, right? So they're like, oh yeah, well, we have this perspective because we already saw it, or we have a different solution provider that we get a little more insight than they do. I mean, we could just talk about that forever, about how different perspectives, and then you can go even to gender and culture and everything else. It's so important in fraud and in KYC and all those areas that I think um, that's why I never want to ever discourage anyone. I actually really enjoy, you know, speaking with people who are fairly new to the industry because it the years don't matter as much. Uh, it's about what you've done and what you've learned. Yeah, I'll, I will add to that. Like I, it was also while the imposter syndrome was real, it was also a big confidence booster, like being able to go to MRC and like talk to people, be super curious, challenge people, right? I think uh, people in this field are I used people I've met like have been very willing to be challenged on their views and for example like a simple thing right like and and Matt and I go back and forth with this all the time um but like people think of 2FA as the ultimate like stopper for like unauthorized access right but I think asking that question of why and what is the vector of attack, right? Um, for example, if there's phishing and someone's on the phone and is getting all those OTPs and getting all those step ups, adding another two FA down the road isn't really going to help here. Like, like, like it's it's people are going to bypass it the same way they've been doing the others, right? So understanding what is that vector of attack and then questioning it, right? Like when someone's like, "Hey, when we add a two FA here, you should question it and say why? Why do you think it'll stop it? What is the problem itself?" How is it happening? Understanding that deeply will help you understand. And I think a fresh perspective is not just, hey, this is my perspective on it, but a curiosity that comes with that to ask why. curiosity and ability. And like, you know, you have that leeway, right? You're new to the space. So you can ask the why. You can be like, hey, why? Right? Like, why Why do you say this? Um, I think often when we feel like, oh, we should have all this knowledge already and you know we have 10 15 20 years in, in this industry we we feel like we can't be curious and vulnerable and i think a new person can be curious and vulnerable and ask those questions gosh i really hope i can still be curious and vulnerable after 20 years because i think i'm going to hit my 20 in like a year or two but there are definitely a lot of people who get comfortable or who are uncomfortable being, you know, vulnerable and, and being curious and asking questions. And they want to feel like they, you know, have a handle on things. And sometimes it is easy for some people, you know, and I think especially like your data background makes a big sense makes a lot of sense to that and what you said earlier is that sometimes it's like I just want to find the solution. Yeah, but you have to figure out what the problem is and you have to know that problem from 17 different angles. And that's where you get the different perspectives and how they can help. And um, you actually reminded me just using the example of 2FA is uh, made me laugh for a couple of reasons. But one was that I had Gil Rosenthal on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking uh, about 2FA and banking and fintech and, uh, you know, how to diagnose a problem. So it was a little more tactical than high level as far as, uh, you know, when you have a 2 when you feel like you're you know, when you're getting a lot of unauthorized uh, claims, but you go back and see, well, they passed 2FA, then he explained, you know, what to look for and how to identify the problem, right? Is it phishing? Is it uh, something to do with the carrier? Is it, you know, something like that? And so it's very timely. Um, but something that Gil said on that was that, you know, 2FA may be the gold standard, but it's not a silver bullet. And I thought that was, I mean, it was a great play on words, but uh, also just so true. And I think that just sums up kind of what you were saying too. But it's a good example of the fact that you can get 20 people in a room and everyone's going to have a different opinion on it. And they're going to look at it from different ways. And you don't need to take all of what they, you know, you can't take all of what everyone says, but taking what you need to hear and, and, and leaving what you don't is, you know, so important. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, 
But Spec's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. Spec lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of Spec's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. Moving on just, you know, not, this is not about the MRC. It was just the first event you went to. So that's really why I'm asking you about it. What did you leave, you know, taking away from, right? What did you, after going to the event? And I, I mean, I have to say you were up early going to those conference, you know, those uh, sessions. You really, I was so impressed with you. I am not an early riser. So, but you, you, I would get there and I would say, well, who did you see? And you, oh, I went to this event and this event. And I was like, oh, tell me more what you learned because I wasn't there. And but also you really made the most out of it. But what did you walk away? What were a few takeaways just walking away from that as far as both both industry related as well as, you know, maybe a little bit about yourself too, right? Like, you know, wow, this is what I want to do, you know, or I don't know what it was, but I assume that was part of it. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll talk through the industry part and then the, the personal part. So I think you're right. Like I felt, so I felt very grateful to have that opportunity, and and I was also working, you know, those days. So I was getting getting up in the morning, working, and then you know going into uh, and then late night working right between and like and then the conference in between. Um, yeah, but I, I did. I just really did want to <laughs> attend as many sessions as I could um and just like imbibe whatever i could and 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 i realized that that conference was you know very like solution provider heavy or e-commerce heavy um and not as much catered towards like fintechs or you know finance um but i think the i think the problems are the same like i think that's what i realized i was like fraud is fraud um it may take on slightly different forms there might be slight nuances and i I think those nuances are important because the devil is in the details however there is a overarching hey this is how phishing happens or this is how this happens um and there's a lot of like commonalities that you can pick up regardless of the session regardless of the industry regardless of you know the the solutions provider right um and i think that was like one thing i realized is like i don't want to vision myself into going to a fintech fraud conference um because it doesn't matter like i can go to any conference and there will be something to learn in some session and talking to people like helps with that um so that was one thing um the second thing I realized from attending a lot of lot of sessions is the ones that I think I learned, and maybe this is like my product background and like le- more product less strategy background is um, the ones that are tactical were the ones that I got the most out of. Um, so it's not you know high level. Hey, this is how this thing happens. This is what this is called. But more like we had this specific problem, and this is how we solved this specific problem. Or here is a framework of how to think about this, or how to prioritize, or how to like talk to someone, or talk to leadership. I know there's a lot of sessions that happen about how to talk to leadership, right? Because risk professionals often don't get the resourcing that they want and 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 should get um, as in a company. So um, I think the really tactical ones were the ones that I learned the most out of where like I could reach out to the to the the people who gave those presentations and say, hey, can you send me that presentation? Because that framework is great and I want to use it. Um, and I was able to do that in, in most of those sessions. Um, and then the last I would say is network. Um, and I know network is like this cliche term. Uh, I, 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 we can rephrase it to be like meet people and talk to people. Um, people are really, really friendly and really, really interested in this space. Um, don't be afraid to go up to someone just because they've like, you know, been a speaker on this session doesn't mean that they're unhappy to like be approached by someone who's super new and like just talk, right? And like, just talk, make those connections. Don't be afraid. And this is going to sound very cringy and you're going to feel very, very cringy when you do it is don't be afraid to pull out your phone and add someone on LinkedIn because you will re- and reach out to them. Make sure you reach out right after and say, hey, I really enjoyed that talk. Um, would love to connect with you and connect with them. I've gone on numerous coffee dates with people and like it's been it's been really good to make those connections. I know that they, and they've reached out to me after saying, hey, um, there's this conference coming up. Do you want to do you want to go here or uh and so all of my opportunities after MRC Vegas have been 
through these networks and these connections. Like I've been on a couple of speaker panels now. I've been on a couple of, and all of that within six, seven months has come from that. So you just, just like do it. I know it feels, and for someone like me who is an introvert and who, yeah, I, I, I'm an introvert. It's very hard. It's very cringy, but it has been incredibly helpful. Um, that's my, my advice there is like, don't worry about how you look, just do it because it will open up all of these wonderful opportunities to meet wonderful people and learn. And you never know where those are going to go, right? Like, just like you said, how you've been invited to either attend or or speak at other events since. I mean, there's some luck and privilege involved because you live, you know, in New York City, where a lot of events are held, you know, a lot of people in the Bay Area have similar privilege. Uh, But there's still a fair amount of virtual events, right? It's Fraud really is, in our industry in general, is really a choose-your-own-adventure, and you have to take what you can and leave what you don't need, but really, you have to be proactive. As much as I love to reach out to people who I know have a story to tell and I know who have good perspective uh, that I want on the podcast or that I think should speak at a conference, you know, when I was in charge of programming for two of the biggest conferences uh, in the world on these topics, you know, that was my favorite thing. And I, I could list off at least 20 people who had never spoken at a conference, never thought that they could or that they should. And now I see them speaking at almost every conference because they love it. And it's not an ego thing. It's more like, wow, it's a take a penny, give a penny. It's take, you know, I'm learning so much from this industry. I want to give a little bit too. And you never know what's going to come out of that, whether that's a new friend, whether that's a new job opportunity, a new speaking opportunity, a new consulting opportunity. Like you just never know. It's not something you can track a trajectory and say, these are my goals. It just, it's so fun. It's kind of like, oh gosh, I want to talk about cheesy and cliche. I just was thinking about Forrest Gump saying life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But <laughs> when you network, it's like that too. And just talk to everyone. Don't don't like, that, that's another thing I think like, it feels like you could fall into like a pitfall, like where you're like, oh, these are the these are the experts. I want to just talk to them. Like talk to your peers, talk to the people, talk to the person next to you who's sitting and nodding along while you're listening to something, and be like, hey, uh, you know, what are the problems you're seeing? And you know, can we talk about this? Um, like make friends. Everyone is super friendly. No one bites. Um, I think everyone's eager <laughs> oh, to talk. Almost everyone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I got a lot out of that. And I think like people have reached out to me to ask for like things that I've seen or like people like they want me to intro, intro them to and do it. Just just like don't don't think of it as transactional. I think you have to think of it as uh, and I think it's it's easy to fall into the, when, when you say the word network. It's easy to fall into the transactional mindset, but it's not. It is not transactional. Like just do things for people. Don't expect anything back because it will come around to like at some point there will be something happening. You'll need to reach out and people will be there to help you. And I've seen that. And I've seen other like Matt is a great example of that where Matt just like willingly, willingly helps. But when he needs something and wants something, there are a hundred people that will like jump in to support him. Right. Um, And he it's because he engenders that like selflessness. And I think, uh, Sorry, this got onto a soapbox and tangent. No, I think it's a good one because it's something that I preach all the time, but people look at me and think, you know, that I'm this extrovert, which fun fact, whenever I take Myers-Briggs, it's it's like 51-49 or 52-48 to extrovert-introvert. Like the way I recharge is by going back to my hotel room after a conference and like ordering takeout and watching trashy reality television or something like that for a little while. Uh, I don't usually, I usually cannot stay out, you know, super late for all of the party, the dinners and then the after dinners and then the parties and the, um, because I just need to process and, you know, so I get it, but I think it's really good to hear that from other people. And, you know, even if you, work for a company and this wasn't Novo's situation. I know I mean, like, I'm really glad that you said that they want to support you and everything else. But I do want to say for people who might think must be nice, right? I don't have a budget or you know that type of thing. And I think that's why you see so many more sessions about how to talk to leadership, because we've been so traditionally bad about it for so long. I've only started to see those the last couple of years. It's something I've been trying to kind of whittle away with, you know, whittle away at 
myself, but I'm so glad to see other uh, organizations really taking that up too, because also there's not one way to do it, right? You know, the way that, and so hearing from 17 different people about how they do it, you can take what might work for your leader now and, and, and do a hodgepodge. But, you know, one of the reasons why it's also important is so that when you go to your leader and say, hey, there's this conference and I want to learn from other people because I can't, I didn't go to school for this, right? And I know our fraud better than anybody. But you know what, that those fraudsters or those that that vector that that trend that tactic started somewhere else. So I want to hear, you know, from other people, they might have different resources, they might have different ways of looking at things, they might know something about this specific or what to look at when you're diagnosing it that I just haven't thought of um that there are ways to go to events without paying for it uh especially when you are you know what what would be considered a buyer um because the traditional uh, and you know in the current well, business model for events uh traditionally uh for events that are held by different organizations uh that are you know more or less independent typically speaking the solution providers pay more and so they want to meet more of those buyers and so sometimes you know there are there are things that may not be advertised right that you can reach out to the organizer um but also you know if you do feel comfortable. Well, I mean, I, I don't feel like I know much, but you know what, you're not saying you know everything when you go up on stage, you're saying, hey, I know a little bit about this. And I'd like to share my perspective. Uh, but you could ask, you know, hey, can I be on a panel? Or can I host a roundtable? You don't have to be you in a podium. Um, but a lot of times you get free you know, registration that way. And that's a really good exchange. Do you have anything to add on that as far as tips for people who might you know, want to go to an event or like, huh, you know, and, and there's virtual events too, right? Or whatever. But just throwing that out there, I want to be mindful that not everyone has an endless budget. I mean, no one has an endless budget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not much else. Um, I think definitely like speaking is an easy sort of way in, right? Um, but also, again, and this has just been my experience and maybe this is very flawed and naive, uh, but I found that reaching out to people when, when you know, hey, this conference is happening, it's being hosted or sponsored by this group, um, just reach out, reach out to organizers, right? Like reach out, maybe you have a connection through a connection, um, reach out to your partner, maybe you use them as you know, they're one of your partners. Um, so like reach out and say, hey, I heard you're doing this conference, would love to sort of join. Um, I, I think that it gets taken well. Um, and if I like put myself in someone's shoes and say, hey, I'm organizing this and someone, someone like random, I don't know them reaches out to me saying, hey, I'm really interested in this. Like I think interest, enthusiasm and curiosity is rewarded, uh, or at least has been my experience um, in this field so far so show that show that enthusiasm curiosity i think more often than not you might find it rewarded well speaking as a you know former and still in a way current organizer of events i guess if we look at the podcast that way there's often a shortage of speakers right you don't want to have the same speakers at every event because you know sometimes you've heard from all of them or sometimes there's some you know there while i adore 98% of this industry there are a couple you know of people that i think at times, events are like, oh, we really don't want to have to ask them, but we know they'll do it. You know, um, they want more new faces. And it is hard um, to have to, you know, to develop talent, to reach out to someone. And it, it just takes time, right? Hey, I think you might know this or something. But yeah, doing the reach out and just say, or saying, I don't really feel comfortable speaking, but maybe there's another way I can help. You never know. Uh, but especially if you're now, I mean, a lot of this is for the buyer side, right? If you're on the solution provider side, you are, you chances are you will benefit greatly if, you know, you assuming you have a good product and, you know, you are respectful of boundaries and all the other things that we talk about, you'll benefit from going there. So these don't really count for them. But at least when I was on the event side too, I know that there was a lot of pressure from solution providers to have more, you know, unique people at the event and different people. So um, if the organizers are doing their job right, they're going to want to welcome new people too. It does take getting a little uncomfortable at first, like you said, but it's so worth it. And I hope people hear that in your voice. You know, I think there's just another thing to add about going to events if you haven't been before. And this was my experience is, you know, I was the only one in my company that cared so much about what I did. And I was, I mean, for you, you luckily you have, you know, at least one other person, but you know, even if you do, right, just have a small team, or maybe you're the leader of that team, and everyone's looking to you. And you're like, I don't know, I just Sometimes I don't have all the ideas. I don't have all the answers. Getting to just surround yourself with people who care about what you care about 
and you have different perspectives that you can learn from them. And the reason why they're so excited to meet you when you're new is because they can learn from you. They want to know what kind of fraud your company has, because if they're not seeing it now, they probably will see something like that down the line. Yeah, no, for sure. I haven't had to do that yet. You know, knock on wood, uh, <laughs> reached out to someone to like say, hey, this is happening to us. Have you seen it? Um, right. Again, but it will happen. It will That's happen. Impressive. Yeah. And I feel confident that when that happens, we will, I will have a network. And I know like Matt has done that um, because Matt has a network and he's like, hey, I've heard this thing. It's going to happen to us. Um, so, you know, watch out. Let's like build this out. I think like that, that, I think we tend to be reactive a lot in, in our in our mm. space. Um, I think having the network allows us to be proactive, um, and that you know that sharing helps us be proactive. I think that's such a good point that I don't think I've thought of in that way. That I just started writing down because um, it does help us be. I actually just was talking with a a retailer that was at actually the event that we were last week and uh he's a little bit you know the company he works for is a little smaller than the majority of the companies that are a part of my retailer collaboration call but he's been a part of it for a couple of years and he said you know if i wasn't a part of that call i never would have known about refund fraud and i said oh you didn't have refund fraud before he said no but listening to companies like you know big company a big company b big company c I thought, well, wow, that sounds bad. And then he said, but then I got to learn what they did about it. And so once we, it finally did come to us because they started to close those gaps, I have a head start, you know, or maybe in this way too, he was looking at, you know, implementing a newer solution for one problem. And when he was doing the RFP, he was able to say, well, what can you do about this problem? Because I know it's going to come. And so that's exactly, you know, what you're saying as far as networking and learning and just being a learn it all, you know, instead of a know it all is something that helps you be proactive and also helps you up your game. And who knows too, if you'll be at the same company forever, right? So maybe something isn't applicable now, but it will be. So just, we did kind of get a little bit more off on a tangent than we meant to, but that's okay. That's like part of the podcast. But one of the things that we, you know, talked about a fair amount last week was how in going to a conference, you know, for e-commerce, right? As a company that's more in financial services and fintech, uh, that probably has similar issues or products, at least as a bank than an e-commerce company. You still, and I think this is a misnomer, right? A lot of times there's a banking conference, there's a fintech conference, there's an e-commerce conference. And I agree with that because I, from a programming perspective, it would be very hard to build one for everyone. It's not impossible, but just for lots of different reasons. But how have you, what are some things you've learned or how do you look at it when you you are invited to an event that may mostly be for e-commerce, but you still want to go and you still learn a lot, right? Because you can apply things, you know, how do you look at that, right? Well, they're talking about account takeover for purchases. That's not what we have. Could you just stop there or do you keep, you know, or are there things you can still learn? Yeah. And you know what? Let's just take that as an example, right? Like as the, that, that thing at account takeover for purchases, right? Um, or like account takeovers, right? More generally, account takeovers happen everywhere, right? They are a common thing across every industry. Like, And, and the way I think about that particular journey is there is a, you know, uh, there's a detection phase where you, where you detect, hey, this might be slightly risky. And there's a checkpoint at sign up or login. And that's your like prevention one, right? Like preventative one category. And then let's, let's say you allow them into the account because they're risky, but you're not sure. Okay. Um, then there's a detection space too, which is now you get to see how their behavior in, in your ecosystem. And then there is some point at which there will be a dollar loss. Right, whether that's um, you know, in the case of like fintechs or finance, it's an ACH push or a wire or or, or something like that, or an ATM withdrawal, or in e-commerce, it's a buying this object, right? Um, mm-hmm. Checkout, right? There's a dollar loss, so that's your point where there's preventative two. That, that's the second place where you can prevent, right? And then there is a last component, which is curative. Now, let's say all of these fail, and and you notice only after the dollar has left your ecosystem. Now, curative, right? How do you handle this? Is there a cure? And and the curative is not just like from a dollar value perspective, but also how do we now approach this relationship with this customer? And like, what is the terminology? What is the empathy with which we approach this? Because you know, oftentimes it's 
it's it's not a it's not a friendly fraud or a first party fraud it's it is this like ato right it's this identity theft situation and like how do you approach the guilt in you know shame that people might feel and and that and 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 we can we can have a whole conversation about that uh but but just to like come back to the point here are your five steps those five steps gonna happen everywhere right um and those opportunities are everywhere now plugging gaps in each of those regardless of what your industry is and that's what we came up with at the most recent conference where i said where we talked about like what we were doing and i was able to like sort of take that and categorize it in this manner and now that's a framework that anyone whether they stay in fintech whether they move to e-commerce wherever right like can take advantage of that framework and say how does that apply to this product and there'll be nuances that you will need to you know put in but that's your framework, right? And that's a framework that's applicable anywhere. So uh, taking that example, I would say that there is, the problems are the same, the specifics are different, but the the frameworks that you can create and learn and the, the, sol- the solutions, are in, the mitigation steps that you can take are roughly the same, right? You use, you know, behavioral biometrics to understand the user journey within your ecosystem. You use maybe device signals and, and like login or sign up. You use whatever, right? At, at these different places, you know, two FAs and things. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But that's kind of like that specific, that's a tangible example, right? Of how you can apply that anywhere. Well, and that's what I wanted you to share, because I think that too often we pigeonhole ourselves and we think, oh, okay, uh, it's not e-commerce, it's not going to apply to me. It's not banking, it's not going to apply to me. And I have to say, like giving a lot of credit to people who listen to fraudology, I was actually quite surprised at how many people in financial services and banking have learned so much from the podcast, even though I am more comfortable talking about e-commerce and in, in, you know, examples and things like that. That doesn't mean that I, I mean, I have a pretty, pretty decent handle on financial services and banking, but not as well as those of you who have been in it, you know, on the front lines. And that's just a good example of how many times I hear people say, well, the actual specifics may not apply to me, but the how and the what and the why. But then there's this other component too, that I've seen so often, especially being in e-commerce, but now it's happening in both directions. For the longest time, it was just happening kind of one way downhill. So banking would get hit with a new type of fraud, whether that's, you know, account takeover when that was really big, you know, 10 years ago, when we started to see what was being breached be different from credit card numbers or account numbers, but be data, you know, account rich data. Uh, And then there also was first party fraud. All of those things are things that actually started on the banking side. And then as fintech came up and, you know, tried to revolutionize or change you know, some of the things, the services that banking provides, then they got hit with it. But then there'd always be variations of that than hitting e-commerce. And I don't know how many times I've, especially 15 years ago when fraud was so new, what is this thing? Oh yeah, somebody I know in banking calls it friendly fraud. Thanks a lot, banking. But that's another story because I'd love to call it first party fraud. Um, but now we're seeing it vice versa where, you know, I don't know how many times somebody and the banking side will reach out to me and say, we're seeing this really weird activity and, you know, this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh yeah, travel got hit with that last year. Or, oh yeah, these guys got hit. And the same thing happens within different verticals of e-commerce too. It's, you know, what hit travel two years ago is hitting retail now. And so that just speaks to the other reasons why it's important to not limit yourself to the events you go to or the webinars you would sign up to, you know, for or anything else. And there's also a lot of solutions that you know may have started out on the banking side, may have started out in insurance or e-commerce that are finding that they are also applicable. I mean, I've worked with a handful of you know really good vendors that they'll come to me and say, "Hey, we you know we've been doing a really good job in banking, but how can we do this in e-commerce?" And sometimes they don't like my answers because they do have to change things. They can't be exactly, but you know, you're right. The framework is the same. Some of the specifics are different. I have a hot take on the banking e-commerce piece. So, okay. Um, I think banking went through its digital revolution 
a little earlier than e-commerce did, right? Like I think the pandemic definitely pushed e-commerce in a massive way, right? Um, I think banking had already started to become digital prior to that. Like with a lot of the fintechs that started in 2013, 2014, 2015, right? They were digital only banks. Um, So I think like the, the fraud happened there first because once you went digital only and then it kind of moved to e-commerce post-pandemic or like during the pandemic when things went way more digital. Um, So that's my hot take on that. But I will say that E-commerce is probably, it, it's more challenging, I think. Um, and correct, tell me if I'm wrong about this, like thought process, but like the bank, like banking and, and fintechs, like the ecosystem is, because it's like actual money and dollar amounts that reside in an account, it's like much better protected through like credentialing and various uh, pieces and, and checks that happen. And so it's it's almost easier to control that ecosystem than it is the e-commerce ecosystem where you're trying to make a sale, right? So you're trying to like get someone from looking at an object to check out as quickly as possible. And you're less concerned about putting friction in their way and like trying to understand who they are. It's more about can you get them to check out? And so it's much easier to hide your identity in e-commerce. And so the identity game in e-commerce is also much harder. Um, and so if a problem occurs in e-commerce, um, that's where like it's easier to commit said identity theft or you know ID fraud um, than it is in fintech. And so if something is in e-commerce and like they have figured out a way to stop something or like figure figured out how to like mitigate something, you can bet that that will work much easier in the fintech space because we have so much more knowledge about the person and the identity. And so that I see as like super valuable to go to e-commerce because e-commerce conference especially because I know that if they've solved something, I can solve it much easier using those same methods. Oh, Sid, you're so right. Earlier this summer, I was asked to do a presentation for a solution provider that has been in banking, uh, that knows banking very well. They're considered one of the top you know, solutions for what they offer uh, on the financial services side. And their employees just, I mean, they have a really cool culture where they just love to learn. And their employees wanted to understand e-commerce to know, you know, is it similar? Is it different? What is it? But not because they were thinking of entering the market or anything at that time, just really like, we want to know more. We want to know what we don't know. And so they, you know, hired me to come down and speak to their whole company in August. And I did this whole thought exercise before that, speaking with a few of my friends who have been on banking and e-commerce, and then also with a handful of retailers to say, what do you think is different? And you hit so many nails on the head there. I mean, I think a big part of it is for the same reason why banking at first was experiencing those more higher level, those newer vectors that we didn't have solutions for yet, like account takeover and others, it's money, right? You don't have to fence money. So that was the same for the same reason as that. It's also the case that consumers are going to, they want to be able to access their money. So they're going to use their actual phone number. They're going to use their actual email. They're okay with friction. They are okay with, you know, 2FA. You know, they they know for the most part to have a different password than they do, you know, for everything else for their bank. So the, we ha- on the banking side, I think you have the privilege of having the consumers kind of working with you a little bit. And also, if you call them or if you add some friction and you just tell them, well, this is because we want to keep your account safe, they're like, hallelujah, I'll you know go through any hoops you want. Whereas on the e-commerce side, how many good users don't use the same, you know, the don't use the same email or prefer to have throwaway emails or virtual cards, which is causing a lot of issues, or you know, just all these other down down the list. And so when you have good consumers looking like what fraudsters used to look like, and also when the item matters so much in the, you know, with within banking, money is money. I mean, obviously a withdrawal and an ATM, you know, those types of things are different and gonna have different risk factors. But what they're purchasing, what the company sells, how they sell it, how they ship it, all those things matter on the fraud side too. So there's a little more complexity. And I've always gone with the same, you know, uh, kind of the same theory as you, right? If you start with the hardest thing first, uh, then you can work backwards. I mean, it's the same reason why my grandfather taught me how to drive in the snow before I learned how to drive 
you know, without any snow on the ground. Uh, so I think those are really good points. And I love those hot takes and uh, your perspective as far as, you know, and also you get to meet companies outside of your realm and uh, get to have fun tidbits about, did you know, you know, I mean, not that you're going to share this with everyone at a dinner party or anything, but like, did you know that that company has this kind of, I mean, it's fun or that type of company has this or, oh, I know somebody there. It's just fun, I think, but there's a lot of crossover there. Well, I just always hate having to end our conversations because I enjoy them so much. And uh, I know how popular your episode with uh, Matt was last year, or maybe there were, maybe it was a two part. Uh, it wasn't last year. It was just a few months ago. It was, you know, in March, you're right. Uh, and I know that there was a little bit of a, you know, feeling like a rock star at MRC because so many people already knew who you were when you spoke. Uh, and I'm so glad for that. But I just appreciate you stopping back by and sharing some of what you've learned and hopefully encouraging other people to go outside their comfort zone, learn, network, you'll grow and see where this crazy ride takes you because there are a lot of really great people in the industry. And to me, I actually have a friend that makes fun of me quite often that, you know, he'll say, you barely have any friends in your own hometown. All your friends are international. And I'm like, yep, because I have more in common with people that fight fraud than those that don't. They'll become some of your closest friends, too, in addition to learning from them. No, agreed. Thanks for having me. As, as always, happy to be here. Happy to chat with you. Thank you so, so much. Well, speaking of connecting and, you know, LinkedIn and all of that, I will add a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can connect with you and let you know what they learned from this episode. And, you know, that may lead to friendships or just, you know, somebody to reach out to when you have a question. I always say no solicitations, please, because I'm not trying to, you know, beat up or uh, help anyone do their job on the sales side. And you uh, and Matt have done a very good job of being very selective in who you're working with on that side. So but yeah, thank you again so much for joining me. And I'm so glad I got to see you in person for a second time this year. That was such a joy. Same. Thanks, Grace. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.